Welcome to the Tax Girl Podcast, your home for tax news, tax info, and tax policy. In each episode, I'll share conversations about taxes, money, and the choices that we make. I'm your host, Kelly Phillips-Zerb, for Tax Girl. I'm a practicing tax attorney, and I work with taxpayers like you every day. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. Chances are that you are listening to this podcast episode outside of your normal office. Over a year into the pandemic, we are still finding a new normal. For some, that means going partially or completely virtual. But what does that look like exactly? To answer that question, I've asked Donald Nelson to the show. Donald grew up in the family tax practice his mother and father started together, and is the sixth of seven children. After getting his accounting degree, he spent a couple of years in the private sector, including busy filing seasons back in the family practice, before taking a different path as an auditor for the IRS for a few years. In 2005, at age 30 and with a family of four, including his two adopted children, his father's cancer had returned, so he came back home with his little family to take over the family practice all by himself. Fast forward 16 years, and the family practice is a good-sized tax accounting firm with three partners, three locations, and clients spread all over the country. His firm grew by 35% during 2020 due to turning COVID restrictions into a positive by taking advantage of what he calls a digital revolution during the pandemic. He's here to talk about why and how every tax professional should be running a virtual tax practice. So thanks so much for being on the show today. No problem. I think you summed it all up right there. Yeah, yeah. No, that was that was quite a bit. So, so I'm excited first about the growth of the firm. So I kind of want to talk about that kind of to start, because one of the things we've heard is that tax practitioners have been busy but they're not necessarily busy growing their practice. They've been busy just kind of, you know, sweating down emergencies. So how did you turn the busy into growth for the firm? Yeah. So over the past 20 years, whether in the private sector or with the IRS, in fact, I spent a lot of time when I was at the IRS interviewing some of the professionals that would come in representing their clients as to how they ran their practice. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe I just always knew that I was going to go back out or something. But my parents working for them, it took a really long time for them to transition over like anybody. We don't like change. It's psychological. We don't like having something thrown at us that we can't adjust to. And so Mm -hmm. that's that's a disruption. None of us like that. But when I left IRS, I was very confident in what I was doing. I had a good background, fully trained. They take really good care of their employees and and I had all that interviewing and all those things in the back of my mind as to how I would do it. And what had happened is my, my dad's cancer had come back and he needed radiation. And so I left the IRS kind of in an emergency a few years in to take over his practice. And he told me at the time, he's like, I'm not retiring because of the radiation, which it knocked him out. And he mm-hmm. was clean after that. He passed away a few years ago, but he, the cancer never came back. Oh, wow. It was because they were switching from DOS to Windows. In reality, in the mid-90s, well, Windows came along in the 80s, but by mid-90s, I remember going to all these gear-up seminars uh, with my dad as as an adult, and all the old guys were super excited because every year they would just wait for the software, to the tax software to announce that they were continuing with DOS. (laughs) And I remember thinking wow, these guys are really, that's the only thing they were really excited about. As soon as they announced that, then some of the guys would get up and leave and go to lunch. I'm like, are they not going to stay around for 
you know, the rest of the CPE training or whatever's happening. And they just took that as their chance to be like, okay, that's all I wanted to know. I'm out of here. But um, I found it to be super funny because they, they just could not let go of DOS um, and thought that if they can just keep DOS around for a really long time, then I can just do this until I die. And I, I joke, I'm giggling as you're speaking, but in the legal profession, we had that same mindset with WordPerfect. We still have a lot mm-hmm. of folks who still use WordPerfect in the legal profession, but that was a thing Like when people started switching over to Word, it was a little bit of a trauma for them because WordPerfect was something they had mastered. And there used to be entire, like you mentioned seminars, there used to be seminars on, you know, how to upgrade to the next level of WordPerfect. And that was as much as they were willing to do. Yeah, that's funny because WordPerfect is right in my backyard here. It's just the next little city over. And those buildings are completely empty now. But uh, sure. <laughs> where they've got new, new businesses in them, I should say. But um, I came away from the IRS with kind of this idea of what I wanted to accomplish. And and it had this long background in it, which was there's, I love sports analogies. And I grew up as a swimmer, um, but I love, you know, racing and, and football and basketball. Those are my, my main things and my main passions. And I was, I was kind of referred to as a pace setter, a long distance swimmer. I was always doing the 500 and the 200 and, and then did some triathlons until my knees weren't quite as good because I don't like to run, but I love to swim and bike. Mm-hmm. There's in the racing world, there's a thing called a pace setter, or it's otherwise known as the rabbit. Right. And in horse racing, the purpose of a rabbit is just to ensure that there's a fast pace and create maybe a little bit of havoc or let's say turmoil among the early leaders in the race in hopes of maybe setting up an upset, right? Mm -hmm. So the rabbit is typically a horse that's from the same stable as the horse that's yours that you're trying to have win. And so it's employed to assist at least to to level the playing field or assist my horse in getting out to a faster start and hopefully upsetting the favorite. And what I've tried to do all along is surround myself with really good people I, I never consider myself really smart. I just have some good principles and I'm, I'm a little OCD. So I have all these processes and I like to do things step by step and I don't like mm-hmm. anything to mess with it. And so coming up with a pace setter or a rabbit of my own is, has always been, okay, do I have the right software? Do I have the right hardware? I like to have two monitors. Some people like to have three. Do I have a good laptop that allows me to use what I need to or integrates well with the tax software that I'm using? And I like to save too. I'm, I'm very cost effective. I like to make money. I don't like to spend money. And I think that rings true to a lot of preparers that may be listening to this because it's, it's tough when those costs come along or thinking, how do I make this change? This is going to, it's obviously going to cost a lot because it's this newfangled technology. And, and it's not true. It creates more efficiency. It's more cost effective and, and it puts you in a, in a different place there. It's a game changer. But even when you talk about being more efficient though, and I, as someone who ran my own business, I, you know, it is still something that you worry about, like how fast will I see a return on this? Right. So in this, in this world now, everybody's always like ROI, you know, like what is the return on investment? And everybody wants to see that immediately. And that doesn't always happen immediately. And I think that that is one of the hesitancies that especially smaller firms may have about technology is, you know, if you're telling me that I'll be better at this, I'll do this faster. How long is it going to take for me to see those results? Do you yeah. see people with those kinds of hesitations? For sure. Everybody has it. We we had it as well. So my firm, DBN Tax, we named it after my dad and um, with his initials and, and figured we'd always keep it. 
we came up with all these processes based off what he'd started. He would have this yellow envelope and he'd put anything with withholding into that envelope and anything else, you know, would be outside of that little envelope. And that kind of kickstarted the next start of the process. We came up with these manila folder and blue folder and a red folder and a green folder and anything in the manila folder we'd place in it as it came into the office. And it stayed in that if it'd never been touched. And we, using the IRS kind of helps that I had, we came up with a case history sheet that would track it from the start to the finish. And that was for record keeping on our side. So we know how it was processed, just kind of CYA type of thing, right? Right. But it also helped us with the flow that it would come into the lobby and from the lobby to come to us. And so you develop these processes and we perfected those processes and said, okay, this is a manual process. How do we take that manual process and put it into a digital process? And in all reality, that took quite a few years, not until two years ago when we thought, okay, we're going to switch from Drake software, let's say, to UltraTax. We'll, we'll go from one of the big boys that doesn't offer all of the technology and all the integration that we need, and we'll switch to one of those that's bigger that has all of that all in one system on one platform. But you run into a price problem. There's, there's cost effectiveness that we talked about, right? And spending more to make more doesn't always make sense to tax accounts. Uh, right. <laughs> it's hard to do. It's, it's more of all just, we love punishment. That's why we do taxes kind of. <laughs> it, for me, it's a swim season. It's three months of getting up at, you know, 4.30 in the morning and going to bed late at night. And for us, we have different policies that we keep in our office. Like we don't work on Sundays and we only do half day Saturdays. And so how do you fit that in and still progress and make as much as you need? And how do you fit in family time? Because Three months out of the year, not seeing your family just doesn't really fit. And right. you want to have control of that and put your own constraints in place. So two years ago, we decided, let's make that jump. Let's jump to a platform. We were quoted $100,000 by CCH. We do about 5,500 returns in our firm. We're, we've gone from dad was at 1,000 returns by hand at one point and was shrunk down to 275 because he wouldn't switch from DOS to Windows. Um, and all the guys that he used to process for had all gone their own way because they were either older or they, they were like, well, if you're not going to switch to Windows, I'm going to go do my own thing and, and switch to Windows and, sure. and do this. So I forgot where I was at. 5,500 returns. So 5,500 yeah, returns. Yeah, I, 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 that's a big number. That's why I remember that. Yeah, that's a lot to have to process. And so we were quoted 100,000 by CCH, 45,000 or so in that range by UltraTax. And then we had into a ProConnect that we're probably in the sixty to seventy thousand dollar range. We thought that's a big jump. Drake charges fifteen hundred ninety five a year, and it's all inclusive. I can do businesses, I can do states, I can do everything. It's not a they have a pay as you go program, but for fifteen ninety five, if you pay three months early or four months early, you get it for twelve ninety five. That's a heck of a deal, and so that's why a lot of people use some of those what we call lower end software, but they don't have the integration with all that stuff, and so. You think we got to make that jump to the big boys, but how do we do that without having to pay the big boy fees? Right. Not everybody would end up doing this and, and being part of tax Twitter and a big following there, you know, there's a lot of good guys to follow on that that are very innovative. They don't, they don't go for quantity. They go for quality. And for us, we felt like, okay, we're going to capture every return that comes in. We have a lot of word of mouth. People love former IRS agents and it's a very family-like feel. And so we can't afford to have that kind of software. So we thought, let's just design our own. And in nine months, we came up with our own software. It's just for our firm. We, we right. haven't marketed it. We don't plan to market it. It's just for us. And it has the mobile app. 
not always the most cost-effective way to do it, but we thought if it's going to cost us this much with one of the big boys for one year, we could take all that money and have our own one year later. And it's been another game changer. Yeah, no, I can totally relate to this because back in the day when I was doing estates work, I did a lot of things. I had worked for some other folks and I had picked up the way that they did things. But one of the things that I really didn't love was a lot of the um, projection software and then also the growth software for like, what is your estate now? What's it going to look like? What, you know, if we throw in some variables, what changes that? And then what kind of numbers are we looking at? Are you over the threshold, right? So that was always the question that people had when they came in, especially middle class. Like, am I going to, this is back, you know, when the, when the exemption was closer to a million, where am I? And, um, you know, just because I'm 30 right now and I only have 200,000, am I ever going to be above that number? And so there were, it was a similar thing. There were some software packages that were available that were expensive. And I only really needed this one question, right? Mm. Like I didn't need that. We weren't doing tax prep at the time. We weren't doing, um, you know, we were farming out 1041. So it wasn't something that we were doing anymore because we were too busy. So I didn't need all the bells and whistles and extras. I really just wanted this projection software. And at the time you couldn't get things a la carte. So we couldn't get it. And my husband, um, he works, um, he had a commerce and engineering background. And so he just wrote a program that allowed me to plug in the different variables and say, okay, at this interest rate, if you put in this amount of money, this is what you're going to look like in however many years. And it was completely, you know, it saved us a lot of money because that was the only thing we needed. And now I do think some of these software programs that you mentioned, you can actually buy in pieces. But it used mm-hmm. to be that you had to buy the whole thing together. Yeah, it's in different levels. That's impressive, by the way, that he was able to do that. It's, it's kind of like what we do with Excel spreadsheets, right? We'll come up with a calculation and some tables and format it to what we want to have answered. But mm-hmm. it can get kind of tedious to have to do that again and again and again. Right. The idea with somebody switching to one of these SaaS programs is because it can cost quite a bit and you only need a certain aspect. The idea is to analyze your business, look at your processes and say, what are those processes that can be automated? What I'm finding as I follow people and I observe and I see what's going on is we like those processes. It's kind of nice to have. It helps us kind of calm the jitters for an appointment or something because I'm doing the the tedious non-brain type of functions that I do again and again. And it creates this foundation for me then to build up to the appointment and talk to the client. But as COVID came along, we found that there's a lot of people that aren't spending their time analyzing. And there's so many curveballs coming at us right now with the pandemic and different government law changes and things that are proposed versus things that are passed and things that are passed that haven't become law yet. And what year does apply to and how far does that reach in the past and into the future? And that can become really hard. And we don't have that time to analyze because now we, those processes that we decided we're going to stick with and always do don't allow us to really do what we need to and advise the client, put us in an advisory role, which is what they hire us for. Right. So the idea is to, with a SaaS program, you can be virtual, you can be mobile. With this digital revolution that's come along, you can put things that are that are automated, like scheduling, collecting documents, payments, signatures, things that are very robotic for us using artificial intelligence can come in and automate those roles. Sure. So far too many of today's tax professionals are performing these tasks and it takes away from them attending to and satisfying, you know, the actual needs of their client. And instead of 100% of their time spent on those things, they're spending it on chasing down docs or signatures or things like that. But it's scary because on the day that we're actually taping this episode, last week's 
Insights newsletter that we just sent out for Bloomberg, it came out over the weekend, was really focusing on robotics and um, automation and research and development and that sort of thing. And one of the things, though, that is really scary to people is all the what ifs. And I actually, I mentioned in the uh, the newsletter, it took me a really long time to switch over to automatic scheduling, which I do now. But it took mm-hmm. me a really long time because I felt like it took away from the personal touch. And, and sometimes you do see this. You do see some people who, like on LinkedIn, will automatically send you a, a link, right, without any context or whatever. And I think that's why people are scared. Like that, what if you're taking away, and you mentioned this, this is, and the reason I feel comfortable asking you this question is because you talked a lot about this is a family practice and that you feel like the town and the clients that you have are family oriented. Like do clients, were you worried about what they might think? Like, does it bother them to not have somebody answer the phone and say, yes, you can come on in Tuesday? Like, does it bother them to get that link? Because <laughs> Because this is something I think that a lot of people probably who are listening who are hesitant, like I was, and I've been using my my uh, scheduler for like over a year now and I love it, but I was really nervous for years. People kept telling me to, and I saw so many examples of it done poorly that I think that's all I could remember. Like I couldn't think to myself, you could do this in a warm way, right? Like you could, you could do it and still, there still could be Kelly in the email sending the link. And I think that that is where a lot of the hesitancy in our practice is because so many of us are people, people, you know, that's why yes. we got into this business to work with others, to help solve problems, to, to make other people's lives better. So do you feel like there's hesitancy to embrace automation on that level? Like you're talking about just the basics, like do people feel like there's no human? For sure. And and that was probably the biggest hesitancy because this is my, this is my parents' practice. And as you bring on partners and they have different ideas and they want to make these changes to even moving a desk around, it was hard to embrace at first. Mm-hmm. And if you look back at the beginning of things, back in the 60s, the IRS started using computers and everybody said, these are monsters. And the, the IRS and the government had to start convincing people, hey, these fears are unfounded. This is going to help with accuracy and compliance. And, and everyone else thought, no, you're replacing humans. Yeah, they're still using some of those same computers, sadly. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. No, when I was there, when I talk about switching DOS to Windows, I'm their backup system is still DOS. I mean, they just only in the past couple of years, if you pull a transcript up until a couple of years ago, you were having to translate what that meant and really look at the lines. And we couldn't just decipher the IRS tax code when we were there. We had to decipher the software we we're using. I had to know it backwards and forwards because the RGS system that we used was so outdated that it was it had holes in it, it had these gaps so i had to know oh this is calculating wrong and this isn't and that helped me big time it was like removing some of your senses and saying now function in the wild mm-hmm. but but that's kind of how it was and so to have you know it, i think george w bush in 2002 made a huge push for modernizing the software nothing ever happens and now you have these new proposals with president biden he's saying the same thing like we're going to put a billion, I think in one of your podcasts, somebody said they're a billion dollars towards modernizing technology. Mm-hmm. That's scary to me because I go, okay, that's part of us winning the game is that I know on their end, they have automated systems sending out notices with nobody there to check them. And yet if I try to call back right now, I'm not going to get a hold of a single live person. And so right. that fear, along with what you just asked, is exactly what we thought about as a practice. And how are our clients going to adjust this? How many are we going to lose? And it, 
it's hard because you really have to jump into it. As the pace of change accelerates, the stakes get higher than they've ever been before. And that's that disrupting I was talking about before. You find yourself kind of at a tipping point um, where there's so many levels of uncertainty and anxiety that start boiling, boiling over and you add the curveballs from the government and now clients that are like, just want to know the simple answers. They're not even asking about the tax return or my advisory role and my analytical skills. They just want to know, okay, which document am I sitting in here? How does that fit in with this thing that I read in the or heard on a on a podcast the other day or on the radio or <clears throat> whatever methods they're using? So it's tough. The biggest validation I got from it, having switched, and now we're two years into it. And if we hadn't done it, we honestly would not have grown as big as we did during COVID. Okay. In fact, we've already gone to off-season hours prior to May 17th, after April 15th, with a shortened you know, they didn't start filing until mid-February. Even with a shortened tax season, we hit our goals and we're at 20% growth. A bunch of us went on vacation and went to off-season hours and we'll have a push by May 17th. But this automated system that we have tracks your assignments and your tasks and puts it in a way that you can push to other people in the office that are still there. So you're open 24-7, even when you're not in the office, because these automated now self-facing roles are in place to handle the client. Gotcha. So with those trepidations and those, those, you know, anxieties that we have as tax people, and the reason we got into it too, as the people, there's also client facing roles that tax accountants are horrible with. We're dry, we're robotic. You talk to some person who's coming on to you as a client, like, well, yeah, I just, my guy could never get a hold of him. Uh, he was always busy. He was always extending stuff for me. I gave him all my stuff and I wouldn't hear back for weeks. There's also those things that we took into account and said, how can we make those things better for the client? And they all went hand in hand, which we actually have more time with the client now than we ever had before because these client facing roles like invoicing, receiving payment, collecting signatures, communication with the client, a lot of those can become now self facing roles. They can handle it through a mobile app that we designed. Or if you have a portal or something else, there's messages in there and you can send a task and assign those tasks automatically to whoever they're assigned professional is that's taking care of them. Right. And so that can become automated and it just filters things through. It's like a traffic jam. You put constraints in place now and it's hard to stick to them. You always have clients that want to bypass those constraints or text you directly instead of going through your secretary. At first you want that, but then after a while you're like, okay, a hundred people doing that doesn't, I, I can't do it. And I have a secretary now that I'm paying to do this with a SaaS program in place, you can have then those constraints in place to then show them the on-ramp and put them into the normal flow of traffic. And they're getting these automated notifications and things in place and it's on their phone. So they feel like I didn't have to lift a finger. Right. For all of the people who like that, did you have pushback? Did you have anybody who said, you know what, not for me. I want to be able to call and talk to you on the phone. Uh, my mom. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot more than that. Don't trust me. There was a lot more than that. But my mom's the perfect example. So she I was like, hey, mom, I sent her a link. I go, can you download this mobile app? And what we want to do is focus on the client, which is what we're here for anyway, instead of focusing on the user and saying, hey, we're going to create the software and give it to all these other tax professionals and, and make a ton of money off of it. We're like, we're just going to create it for our firm and it's for our client. Mm-hmm. So we created it for us. We have the user side. That's the professional side that's amazing and has these tasks. But the the app side, which is the bread and butter, uh, we came up with like a mobile is gold is kind of what we say around the office. She downloaded the mobile app on her Android. And it's, there's an Apple site to it too. 
got a reminder for her appointment and then promptly sent me a message through the app, which is kind of funny, saying, hey, I'm really skeptical of this. I feel that you've removed the personal family feel from your father's business and something we had grown for so long. Right. And the business always had. And I was like, oh, gosh. So I replied back to her through the app. I go, hey, wait and see. I promise you, if it's not better, I'll I'll make it up to you. So she's like, so what do I do next? I go, just take a snapshot of all your docs. They'll automatically upload and they'll be um, formatted for you, you know, whatever. When she was done, I didn't do a thing after preparing the return and advising. I, I called her, talked to her about it and said, here's the things that you need to do. And here's the things that you didn't do right before. So let's put these things in place, put them in the notes also as well for her to see anytime so she can then access that and go step by step through it, which mm-hmm. maybe you're thinking, why didn't you just hold your mom's hand and do that for her? But we we wanted to keep those constraints in place and see if it would work because she would be the biggest feedback we would get. Sure. Yeah. So anyway, she went through, she paid the dollar fee. I wanted her to pay something. So she'd go through all the steps of the process and see <laughs> if it worked. She then sent me a message. She's like, do I sign this with the phone upwards or, or horizontal? I'm like, any way you want. And then suddenly she's like, well, what's next? You're, you're done. You're finished. She goes, what? She goes, you spent more time with me this year than you did last year. I was like, yeah, that's kind of how it is. I didn't have to do all these other aspects that you used to do, mom, at the front desk, chasing down the signature and the payment and all those things. We took chasing down e-file signatures from a few days on average to an average of about 40 minutes. Wow. And then the return, we could have anybody push the button for e-filing an intern, the front desk. It didn't matter who was doing it because we have a review process as it pushes these tasks along, but that was the best endorsement. She goes, can I do it again this way next year? That was so convenient. And I didn't have to come into your office. Nice. I was like, do you remember what you said to me before? (laughs) So Anyway, it was great. I could educate her, advise her more than ever before. And that was, I was so relieved after that. She's the lowest paying client. Trust me. <laughs> There's a few of those uh, family members and every single one of those family members was like, well, that was like the best experience we've ever had. And it, it, it created so much time that again, we went to the schedule we're on right now and, and we've already grown 20% for the year. So on track for another big year. And clients are going to try and sidestep that still. They want to change it. So when are you going back to in-person? And we said, we've made these changes and it was a big deal. We have quite a few Chick-fil-A clients, operators that own quite a few stores. Mm -hmm. And they're like, we really don't want to even go back to opening up our store. They're so efficient. They've taken those processes. They're, They're a model of efficiency. And that's what people need to do is say, okay, first I need to analyze my processes. Do I have good manual processes already in place that I can now digitize? And if I just can sign on with a software, and there's plenty of them out there, you can still stay with the Drakes of the world without having to jump up to the big ones. But you could jump up to the big ones too. The pay-as-you-go really kind of is tough for us to embrace, but that's, those things are available. You got the full, you got the Tesla models, and then you have the other ones, and you just do upgrades along the way or all cart as to what your company needs. Why go back though? It is hard to make that jump in the first place, but now that we have, we're never going back. And it's like DOS to Windows. It's like e-filing versus paper filing. Only 5% of them did it the first year that it was out and not until like the late 90s did people really catch on to it. And would you ever go back to paper filing? Me personally? <laughs> yeah. Because it's yeah. funny because I actually, I still had, so I don't do, I don't prepare returns, but I still have clients that paper file. Yeah. I have a few too. And it's printing that up. 
I have vivid memories of my mom and dad, well, my mom standing at the copy machine, making three copies of every single tax return, stapling the W-2s and anything in that yellow envelope that had withholdings and then prepping an envelope and all those things, all those steps she had to do and those huge filing cabinets that took up a whole room and it took them 15 years to get rid of those filing cabinets. Just, I can't let go of that paper. Whereas now we've got, you have the cloud. We have an external hard drive we can store things on, label things. The software does those things for you um, and organizes it for you so that you can take data and analyze it instead. That's what you studied for. That's what you're a professional. I have two questions based on what you just said. The first one is um, you were talking about, you know, they, when your mom said, or or one of the clients said, you know, when are you going to get back to um, the way it used to be? And you said, you're not gonna. Do you still have a physical office? Are you keeping the physical office? And if you are, is it just for your folks or is everybody going to be remote? We never closed our office down because we could stay kind of separated in our office or have people work from home because we had that advantage of having a CRM, a SaaS program that could work from anywhere. Keeping a brick and mortar is more of an investment type of thing for us mm-hmm. than it is the, a, necess- a necessity. So. To be honest, full disclosure, we're actually, the partners, we're moving out and just going to be working completely remote while we have a place for people to train and come in and do those things. But the brick and mortar is not, it's not as needed other than maybe during filing season because you have a handful of people that will want to come in. We put those constraints in place and want people to follow the normal flow of traffic. So it's very few until we get to the point where it's like, great. It's like e-filing. 5% or 10% of the whole country now doesn't e-file for whatever reason. That's what I was going to ask you. Secondly, was um, you, you talked about e-filing versus paper. And in some areas, so I'm in Pennsylvania. Um, and in Pennsylvania, we have uh, townships everywhere. It's very different from where I grew up in North Carolina, um, where everything was more like a county level. Here, we have little townships and boroughs everywhere. And each of them has their own tax collector, tax system. There are still townships in this area that do not accept e-file. They they insist on a paper return or you can't pay electronically. Or if you do, it's hard, right? It's convoluted. It's not, you don't, it's not like a IRS where you can set up an account and just pay directly. So how do you account or do you have to um, account for not the clients who won't allow you to e-file, but the either the municipality, the, you know, the agency, like is there do you hit a roadblock where you're like, you know what, this town won't accept my e-filed return. I have to print it out. Yeah, not a problem. There's always those states that don't accept either an 1120S or 1065 state return e-file. For some reason, there's still some of those. And we just prep it as normal and send that in that way. But okay, we still have a front desk. We still have people that are there and functioning in administrative functions, but their role has completely changed. They're now assisting in uploading returns to the system instead of answering phone calls. They they may be assisting somebody with the portal or, hey, I forgot my password. Mm-hmm. Instead of, can you tell me what my refund was? Why is that? And they start asking them these questions, sidestepping the process and, and getting them involved in a conversation that they shouldn't or or whatever. But it, the right. struggle is always going to be there. It's, it is more psychological than anything because technology is always advancing. It's just now it's it's even more scary than ever because... The disruption is so high. We're being disrupted by having 
all these powers that be that we have no control over. One of them is technology and one of them is government. And that's what we're there for to assist the client with. And it's coming at us so fast that the client experience is suffering. Right. And the bottom line is just achieving a higher level of efficiency and cost savings with having quality improvements. But you can streamline the monotonous day-to-day work and eliminate more human error, then that creates more time to improve the customer experience. And that's what we've that's what we found, and that's why we're we're growing bigger than ever before. Our footprint's bigger. We're not now just subject to our brick and mortar store. Our footprint now is is more countrywide than ever before. We've probably got fifty percent of our clients are out of state. Wow! Just because of that, so I can go here, I can log in, and I can do it from anywhere. I can do it from my phone. Even I rely on my mom's feedback for that. So, <laughs> well, so when you were talking about the cloud, that raises another issue, which is. Um... And you and I talked a little bit before the program, but I had had a conversation just this morning. The podcast episode that's airing today is one on NFTs. And there's a lot of folks that have questions about that. And one of the things that my uh, the podcast emphasized is this idea that you can always trace the ownership of the NFTs because it's in the blockchain. And so that led to a bigger conversation about technology and updates, which is interesting because that's how you actually started off by talking about, you know, the, the switch from DOS to Windows, right? So one of the questions is, um, and I, I do hear this from clients, but more I hear it from people who are practitioners. And again, it came up today in, in this context is like, so you have things up in, in the cloud. Let's say they're in JPEG format, they're in PDF, they're in whatever format, even if the technology is still there. So let's assume that the cloud will be there forever, right? Mm-hmm. What about the underlying technology to read those things. Cause I mean, you're, I think you and I are, are close to the same age. There's no, no one in our Gen X, <laughs> in our Gen X era, um, that doesn't have a floppy disk laying around somewhere that they, you know, worked <laughs> on right when they were in college or whatever. The physical thing is still there. And I still, I am sure somewhere have cassettes from, you know, from <laughs> mixtapes back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. and the technology for that is also still there. And, you know, DVDs, CDs, those are things that the technology, even if we're not using CDs because we're using the cloud, the technology is still there. But but who has, um, you know, I have three computers on my desk right now. Not one of them can read a floppy for sure. None of them can read a CD without buying extra stuff. So I think one of the concerns, and I don't know that there's an answer to this question, because it may be one of those that's just the, we'll leave people to think about it for a while. The, one of the interesting questions is what happens if the data is still there? Because I think we can all agree that, you know, if the data is there, it's there. But what if you can't read it or access it? And let's say, because one of the things that you did talk about, which is completely true, is about how fast things are changing right now, right? Technology yeah. is changing really, really quickly. What if, and I'm not, I understand, I don't need uh, people sending me evil emails about how PDFs will be here forever, but let's just assume that you can't read a PDF in five years on a regular computer or on your phone because we've done, we've gone to the next format, right? So it's, we're looking at something different or a different way, way of storing data. So we're not looking at floppies or anymore, right? We're not looking at CDs. We're not looking at DVDs. What if the underlying thing to read that technology is no longer in existence? What happens? I know what you're talking about too. I bought a seven in one player so I could play some records. Not mine, but things that I inherited. And there's a certain quality to the sound of a, an old record. Yeah, you realize there's like kids listening right now. They're like, records? What? Yep. 
and and my kids, which there's there's three. I think we mentioned two in the beginning. There's there's three, and and they all came from adoption. They're awesome. My oldest is graduating in just a couple of weeks, but oh, congratulations! Yeah, life changes quick. Mm-hmm. And uh, I bought the seven one player, and I brought out some CDs and some cassette tapes and records, and put them on there. And the kids were like, "Yeah, cool, Dad," and and walked out of the room. And I I sat there listening to it for a while, and then I went right back into the next room and and pulled up you know, Pandora and start streaming it through my, my Sonos system that's in my home. Right. So looking back at the past, knowing how the future is, because now we're living in the future, there's, there's, I trust that there's always going to be some way to do that. But looking at it from how fast things are changing now to where it will be, that's the psychological part. Mm -hmm. It's really scary. So when I, when I decide that I want to jump in with both feet, I don't like in fact, I feel more empowered now than ever before having made that jump. Mm-hmm. I don't like somebody else telling me how I'm going to do it. Right. I don't like having a ceiling that says you're going to hit this in a couple of years. And then what? That factor didn't even leave in the IRS and, and adoption was adoption is pretty expensive. And so the salary wasn't going to be able to cover trying to adopt kids. And I, I wanted to kind of carve my own path. Well, when I decide that I'm going to be the disruptor, or take charge of how I accept things and how quickly I accept it, there's an efficiency in it. It's kind of like life. It, I have a trial that comes along and I can spend, you know, two to three weeks or months or even years just kind of having self-pity and thinking all these changes are coming and I don't want to accept it. Or my son's graduating from high school and he's going to move out of the home. There's an emotional side of it. You got to accept it. The quicker that you do though, empowers you and lets you now have control instead of feeling like something is always pushing and pulling you you're the one, again, putting those constraints in place and directing things into the flow of traffic you want it to go. Right. But back to the NFTs and talking about that, everything that is changing so fast right now, the best thing about it is integration. Integration is just, I can take my Drake software and I can integrate it with the software I created for my own office, for my own firm. Um, or I can take you know, one of the other ones and say, okay, I'm going to take let's say tax wise or tax layer or something like that, that also doesn't have what ultra tax and CCH and those do. Cause I don't want to pay that kind of money. I can integrate with those through one of the other platforms that's out there that allows me to have what the big boys have, but without paying the big boy prices. Right. And that's probably my biggest fear is like, can I spend that much money and make that much money in return? And when you find out that you can do it all a cart and you have control over it and you're going to make five times that, then you're like, okay, I guess I could have done it. I didn't know that until now, but now I don't need it. Um, I've got my own system integrated with it. And I think that's where NFTs and those other things are going. There's always going to be a way to read it, but the quality of sound that I have with my streaming is much more clear and accessible and convenient than the cassette tape or the record player. And you actually, in that answer just now, actually answered the next question I was going to ask you, which is, but not fully, so I'm going to ask it anyway, just in case. So if people are listening, tax practitioners are listening, and they're thinking to themselves, this sounds really cool. I haven't made the jump yet. I 100% can't design my own platform because I'm not that kind of person. What would you suggest for them as like a first step, like dipping their toes into becoming virtual? Honestly, we don't charge for tax consulting to clients. Never have. It's part of our framework. We're happy to consult anybody that's thinking of making that jump to help them analyze their processes and see if they're ready to do it and what would fit best for them. We've researched every single product out there and 
that's why we have our own so that we can stick with Drake. And having researched all that, we know all the prices, we know like everything that's available to them, but also we can help them break that down. It doesn't take long. It's We haven't consulted anybody yet, just so you know. But oh, that, I'm open to that. We've got three partners that are all open to doing that. And I think that would be really helpful. Uh, well, that's awesome. And I was gonna, that's actually a really great segue into my last question, which is if taxpayers wanted to find you and you wanted to be found either on the web or on social media, where would you send them? Our website is dbntax.com, uh, like Delta Bravo November tax.com. And then if someone wanted a consultation for going virtual, paysettertax.com would be a, a good place to reach out as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. This has been terrific. Thank you. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. You can send an email with your feedback to podcast at taxgirl.com. And if you liked it, please share. You can find the audio of each episode at taxgirl.com. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening, because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't have to be.